Throughout this episode, you'll hear occasional dynamically placed advertisements as well as host-read ads by me promoting the work of my sponsors, similar to what you'd experience when you're binging your favorite YouTube content. If you find the ads disruptive, consider joining my community on Patreon. Premium submarines receive full-length ad-free episodes, hundreds of hours of bonus content, and the ability to connect and chat with other listeners. To learn more, visit patreon.com slash backfromtheborderline. I'm so stupid. I'm never going to get better. No one is ever going to love me. I always fuck everything up. I'm so ugly. I'm so fat. Today is just going to be another horrible day. I always mess things up. Does this sound familiar to you? If it does, you are not alone. Negative self-talk is extremely common, even in people without BPD. But it's easy to feel like BPD and self-love are incompatible. This is because self-hatred and shame are the emotional core of this disorder. Last week, we talked all about loving other people, intimacy, and relationships with others. Today, we're talking about loving ourselves. One of the hardest things to do but one of the most rewarding and game-changing things we can do. So if you're excited to dive into this topic, let's get started. You have entered Back from the Borderline, where we walk willingly into the darkness within our minds and return home to ourselves transformed. I'm your host, Molly. I spent most of my life numbing the pain and emptiness inside me, unaware that my self-sabotaging behaviors and thoughts were destroying my ability to connect with myself and other people. One day, I decided I was sick enough of my own bullshit to hear life calling, telling me it was time for a change, and I decided to answer that call. On this podcast, We'll learn that when we see ourselves as the hero of our own journey, it gives us the best chance at finding our inner truth and integrity. Together, we'll learn to hold complex feelings, expand our consciousness and self-awareness while making meaning of our suffering. Are you ready to find out who you are underneath the weight of everything that's been keeping you stuck? If the answer is yes, follow me down the rabbit hole of psychological and spiritual growth. I'm so glad you're here. And with that, let's dive straight in to the episode. I have gotten so many requests from people on Instagram to talk about self-love. So today we're doing it. We're talking all about self-love and self-compassion, about our inner critic, negative self-talk. And I usually start these topics by sitting down with myself and thinking about how these topics have affected me. And I also like to go to Reddit. Um, I don't recommend anyone does research on Reddit, but there is a community on Reddit called um, just a BPD thread. And I like to search the topic that I'm talking about and then read through some of the responses just so that I can 
really put myself in other people's shoes with the disorder because as we've talked about before, BPD displays itself on a spectrum. BPD is different for everyone, but I think something that we all share, those of us that struggle with BPD, is a deep sense of hatred for ourselves, a belief that we are unworthy, unlovable, that something is wrong with us, that we're not normal. And I think that many of us have struggled this with this from a very young age. And while the idea of negative self-talk and really thinking that we're awful inside, I think that's pretty common now um, with a lot of people, not just people who struggle with BPD, but it's just very pronounced for those of us with borderline personality disorder. So I've found some responses on Reddit around the topic of self-love that resonated with me. And we're going to dive in. We're going to get nerdy like we, like we always do. I'm going to really get into the psychology of this. I'm going to give you some tips on how to improve self-love. And we're going to talk about how it's affected me. But I'm going to spend a good chunk of time right now reading you some of these responses from people who are suffering from borderline personality disorder. And I picked these because these seem to be from people who are early on in their diagnosis, who are really stuck in the fucking pits of this stuff. And why I want to open up with this is because it really sets the tone for people who are listening right now who don't have BPD and you're listening because you have a loved one with the disorder. This is going to help you understand and really get into the shoes of people with BPD and how we feel about ourselves. And for those of you with BPD, this is going to really hopefully make you feel like you're not alone. If you're early in your diagnosis, like many of you are who listen to my podcast, we can feel so isolated, like we're the only ones going through certain things. So I hope that these um, responses help validate you a little bit and they get pretty heavy. But what I want you to know is listen to them and I'm going to show you by the end of this podcast that you don't always have to feel this way. It's not, these feelings are not permanent. We've trained ourselves to, to think in these ways and we're going to dive into it more uh, as we continue with this episode, but let's set the tone. Let's dive into the psyche of those of us with borderline personality disorder when we are in the pits of negative self-talk and true self-hatred. So here's the first response that I found. Even before I was diagnosed with BPD a month or so ago, I've never understood the concept of self-love or the practice of it. Depression robs you of the capacity to do things that represent forms of self-love. I don't take care of myself because it takes so much energy and it really doesn't matter enough to me in my own mind. Even typing this is exhausting. I'm tired of trying to figure myself out. I'm tired of trying to love myself or at least not hate myself. I'm tired of how I behave in social situations to seek attention, causing more self-hatred. I'm tired of taking enough pills to have the energy and capacity to make a living and feel like somewhat of a person. I'm tired of feeling disconnected with everything and everyone. I'm tired of not telling the truth about my problems, even when I desperately want to because I'm afraid of being misunderstood or ignored. I'm tired of trying. Life with BPD symptoms is so exhausting, infuriating, painful, and deeply confusing all at the same time. 
I question everything and I always have. Nothing seems certain about the essence of who I am, if anyone or anything at all, especially after this diagnosis. In therapy, I have to force myself to express what I really feel because of how instinctively I adapt to environments in order to hide my sense of brokenness. Self-sabotage is not just an external symptom of BPD. It invades and overwhelms my entire inner world in a way that one must experience to understand. BPD manifests as a constant loop of self-hatred. The second response is, Self-loathing comes so much easier to me than the self-love I try and force on myself. Every day is a struggle, even with the help of medication, doctors, and therapy. Some days I feel proud, but most days I just feel exhausted. The third response says, I basically can't function without my mind telling me I'm useless. I can't hold down a job, accomplish simple tasks, or even attempt hobbies because my inner voice is always so negative about my competency. Just low self-esteem is a chore, but the borderline on top of it makes my life so hard. I was wondering about the self-esteem of others suffering from the condition. I need help. Another response says, 25-year-old male here. As stated in this thread, low self-esteem and self-degradation are some of the worst aspects of this disorder for me. I find myself second-guessing every move I make. I've started dating for the first time in my life, and it just seems impossible. After a few dates, my impulsive fun wears off and women want more, but underneath that fun shell, there's not much else. No identity, extremely low self-esteem and confidence. I'm a bit in denial about the depression I'm currently in. I've just been looking forward to sitting alone at a bar, getting drunk, and doing whatever other substance I can get my hands on. All I want... All I've ever wanted was to cuddle extremely closely with someone I know feels the same about me as I do about them. Another response says, I have terrible self-esteem. Actually, I think it's my biggest hurdle in recovery because I'm constantly telling myself how pathetic I look when I attempt to do even the simplest of normal people things. Another response says, I feel like I lack a solid sense of self-worth. If anyone says something negative about me, it's instantly true to me. I think I've even started telling myself the negative things in advance just so I'm prepared for all the possible shit people might criticize me for. I don't even understand why I do it. It just goes on and on. I haven't been able to stop the internal criticizing monster for long, but mindfulness has been helpful if only for shorter moments. And here's the final one. My low self-esteem has been a constant barrier for me. I had some artistic talent in high school, but I was so easily discouraged that I abandoned the hobby entirely. Because I didn't practice, I never got any better. Then I wanted to be a writer, but I was too afraid of failing and never wrote anything beyond a couple of paragraphs. I've also given up on some other things like embroidery and crochet. A friend recently told me that he wanted to teach me how to play guitar. I didn't want to waste his time, so I told him that I wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth it. I knew that I would try, not immediately be amazing at it, and then resent myself for it. It has affected my life in a major way. Despite constant praise and encouragement from teachers, multiple awards, and a high GPA in class rank, I settled for an unknown university in the middle of rural Indiana. I couldn't even bring myself to apply to an Ivy League school, something I dreamed of in high school. If something isn't perfect the first time I do it, I never want to do it again. And this is why I don't do much outside of work or school. 
I don't even want to post this because my self-esteem is so low and I've already assumed what I said is terrible and not worth reading. My heart goes out to every single person in these responses. I have felt like this so much of my life. And again, for those of you without BPD, I hope that this paints a picture of the internal world of those of us with this disorder. And for those of you with BPD listening, you are not alone. This is something that is very common to experience, but I have really, really good news for you. It is possible to pull ourselves out of this internal hell. So let's get started, shall we? Sometimes the greatest stigma people may face comes from within. Many of the symptoms that develop as a result of borderline personality disorder are a direct cause of a person's insecurity in relationships or a lack of self-acceptance. Unfortunately, a lot of people with BPD also believe that they're worthless or not worthy of love and respect from others. When people with BPD don't accept themselves, they may have a harder time getting along with others and they may engage in self-sabotaging behaviors where they don't allow themselves to reach important academic or vocations goals. This lack of self-acceptance may also lead to feelings of self-hatred. People with BPD who are unable to accept themselves may be at a particularly high risk for self-injury or even suicide attempts. It's also common for people with BPD who have a harder time accepting themselves to feel isolated or lonely. Accepting yourself is an important part of recovery from BPD. When you love and respect yourself, others will respond positively to you. So we started the episode with a few really common ways that I speak to myself or spoke to myself before I was aware of the concepts of that we're going to go through today, saying things like, you're worthless. No one's ever going to love you. You always choose the wrong partner. You're so fat. You're so stupid. These types of things are examples of our inner critic, our inner saboteur, our shadow self. So before we dive too deeply into the subject matter of today, let's talk about what those are. Let's give definitions of them. So what is the inner critic? Our inner critical voice is a well-integrated pattern of destructive thoughts toward ourselves and others. These nagging voices or thoughts that make up this internalized dialogue are at the root of much of our self-destructive and maladaptive behavior from BPD. The inner critical voice is not an auditory hallucination. It's actually experienced as thoughts within our own head. Also, I want to note that this is completely normal. Everyone experiences this, even people without BPD. This stream of destructive thoughts forms something called an anti-self that discourages us from acting in our own best interest. So how does the critical inner voice affect us? This inner critic is an internal enemy that can affect every aspect of our lives, including our self-esteem and confidence, our personal and intimate relationships, our performance and accomplishments at school and work. And these negative thoughts affect us by undermining 
our positive feelings about ourselves and others, and it fosters self-criticism, inwardness, distrust, self-denial, addictions, and retreat from our goal-directed activities. So what are some common examples of common critical inner voices? Some common voices include the thoughts like, you're stupid, you're not attractive, you're not like other people. Some people have voices about their career, like, you'll never be successful. No one appreciates how hard you work. You're under too much pressure. You can't handle this stress. And many of us experience voices about our relationship, like, he doesn't really care about you. You're better off on your own. Don't be vulnerable. You'll just get hurt. You may recognize a lot of these thoughts coming up when you're experiencing splitting. So where does this critical inner voice come from? These inner voices usually come from our early life experiences that are internalized and taken in as ways we think about ourselves. So often many of these negative voices come from our parents or our primary caretakers as children We pick up on the negative attitudes that parents not only have towards their children, but also towards themselves. Our voices also come from interactions with our peers, our siblings, or other influential adults, the media. I mean, think about Instagram, Twitter, um, advertisements, all things like this. So many people think if they stop listening to their inner critical voice, they'll lose touch with their conscience. However, the critical inner voice is not a trustworthy moral guide like a conscience. On the contrary, this inner critic is degrading and punishing, and it often leads us to make unhealthy decisions. These negative voices tend to increase our feelings of self-hatred without motivating us to change undesirable qualities or act in a constructive manner. So your crit- that inner critic, these negative thoughts, that is not your conscience. I would wager to say it's kind of muddling up and covering up your conscience. For me, before I was able to get out of my inner critic, I think when my BPD was at its worst, all I heard was my inner critic. I didn't even know what my higher self was saying, what I really wanted. We're all aware of those nagging thoughts and doubts that increase our nervousness and interfere with our performance at various times. But most of us are unaware that these belittling self-criticisms are only the tip of the iceberg. So if you've seen that really common diagram of the iceberg where you only see the top of an iceberg, and then there is the water. And then below the surface, there is actually this mass of ice that's underneath the surface. That's how we need to look at our inner critic. There is so much more underneath these negative little things of saying, oh, you're fat, you're this and that. Let's dive a little bit deeper. These are merely the more obvious fragments of a larger well-hidden enemy within each of us that influences our actions, interferes with the pursuit of our personal and career goals, and has an overall negative impact on our lives. So 
The inner critic can be thought of as the language of the defensive process. Every single one of us, without or with BPD, are divided within ourselves. On one hand, we have self-regard, which is the traits and behaviors that we like or we feel comfortable with. We have natural tendencies to grow and develop and pursue our personal and vocational goals, as well as desires to be in close relationships and search for meaning in life. These qualities all make up who we really are. They reflect an undefended part of our personality and represent the friendly, compassionate view of ourself. This positive part exists in every single one of us, and it consists our unique characteristics, our physical abilities and attributes, our emotional temperament, as well as positive traits that we naturally incorporated from our parents. It first develops and grows as a result of our parents and other concerned adults nurturing qualities and behaviors and the love and care they directed towards us. Then that is further influenced by what we learn, what we enjoy, and the experiences that facilitate our personal growth. Now, the inner critic is the other part of us that's turned against ourselves. It is the defended negative side of our personality that is opposed to our ongoing development. This voice consists of our negative thoughts, beliefs, and attitudes that oppose our best interests and diminish our self-esteem. It encourages and strongly influences self-defeating and self-destructive behavior. This hostile, judgmental advisor also warns us about other people, promoting angry and cynical attitudes towards others and creating a negative, pessimistic picture of the world. This inner critic exists to varying degrees on a spectrum, right? In every person. Our inner critic undermines our ability to interpret events realistically. It triggers negative moods and sabotages our pursuit of satisfaction and meaning in our life. These destructive, internalized thoughts lead to a sense of alienation, a feeling of being removed from ourselves and distant from the people we love. Now, again, I said before, the inner critic, this inner voice, it's not us hallucinating. It is experienced as thoughts within our heads. If we listen to our inner critic's destructive point of view, and really believe what it's telling us, and we fail to challenge it, we will act on it. And this process has a seriously negative consequence in our lives. Many of us with BPD, certainly myself, before I was even aware of all of this, I believed all of these thoughts. And so therefore, I acted in a way I acted like someone who hated themselves. I acted like someone who believed I was stupid and ugly. So I accepted every crumb of love wherever it could come from because I believed it was the best I could get. So although most of us are conscious at some aspect of this inner voice, many of our negative thoughts exist on an unconscious level, meaning we're not aware of them. They're just kind of running in the background and we're believing them. And at times we may recognize what our critical inner voice is telling us, while at other times 
we may be unclear about our negative thinking and simply accept it as being true. That's the real danger. If we're doing this, we are unaware of the destructive impact that these thoughts are having on our emotions, our actions, and the overall quality of our lives. Now, it wouldn't be a Molly (laughs) podcast, a true back from the borderline in-depth dive into some BPD symptomology if we didn't get nerdy. Now, when we talk about unconscious negative beliefs, we cannot not talk about Carl Jung. So Carl Jung was a Swiss psychoanalyst and psychiatrist who researched aspects of the human psyche in the first half of the 20th century. He was the president of the International Psychoanalytical Association for a period of time, and he is known as the founder of analytical psychology. Jung's work has had a profound impact on modern psychology with some of his most important research being his exploration of the human psyche. Jung separates parts of our personality out into, quote, that which we are conscious of and elements, quote, that we are unconscious of. Our conscious mind is where the ego sits and is made up of parts of our personality and identity that we are aware of. And according to Carl Jung, people have personas that are an aspect of personality that comes from a desire to please or be accepted by others. And this is really important information to have a deep understanding of for those of us with borderline personality disorder who are in constant need of validation. So if you have ever had a social mask that you put on in specific situations, such as when you're with your friends, your family, or at work, then you'll be able to relate to this. And those of us with BPD can really relate to this because we tend to mirror other people's behavior to gain validation and acceptance. So the trouble with personas, according to Carl Jung, is that it can lead to aspects of one's personality, both good and bad, being unexplored, underdeveloped, and suppressed. And through a desire to please others, We focus on our qualities which we perceive to be acceptable by others, and we hide the parts of ourselves which we believe to be negative. Carl Jung referred to this suppressed side of our personality, the things that we believe to be negative that we want to hide, as the shadow or the shadow self, the parts of ourselves that we think society will disapprove of, which we then push away into our unconscious minds. For many people, the term shadow brings up all kinds of negative and dark associations. So because of this, it's easy to assume that anything to do with shadow work is some dark spiritual practice that involves the negative and sinister aspects of our personality. That couldn't be further from the truth. And if we start thinking this way, we really miss out on some really profound work. And Carl Jung is one of my favorite psychologists. The shadow is dark because we are made up of both light and dark aspects, but it's part of who we are and we can't be afraid of ourselves. As children, we are born whole and complete. But that wholeness is short-lived. 
The shadow is born in our childhood as a byproduct of certain interactions we had with the people closest to us. Our caretakers make us believe that certain aspects of ourselves are good and others are not. And the aspects that are seen as bad and are rejected consequently form the shadow. When we depend on our caregivers for survival, we suppress the aspects that are disapproved and we exaggerate the aspects that are approved. So for example, imagine a five-year-old boy who's very much in touch with his feelings. He's sensitive and emotional. Something happens and he gets mad and cries. And in response, his dad says, stop crying like a little boy, be a man. His dad believes crying is bad. So he suppresses his son's emotions. Because of this, the little boy pushes this gentle and sensitive side of himself into the shadows and begins to act tough. Sound familiar? As an adult, this boy begins to have trouble feeling things and will not show his emotions even when it's required. And because of that, he struggles in his relationships, never allowing himself to be fully seen. The idea here is that our shadow grows every time we repress. Another example of this is a little girl who is angry about something and she starts throwing a tantrum and immediately her mother tells her, stop it, stop being a bad little girl. Every time the little girl gets angry, mom repeats the same thing. Stop it. Be a good girl. So the little girl starts to think, okay, it must be bad to be angry. I have to try very hard not to get angry. So with time, this little girl begins to dissociate from her anger, but that does not make it disappear. She grows up believing that she always has to have it together. And later on, she realizes she has trouble at work because people push her buttons. And often she feels like she's about to explode and doesn't know what to do. She realizes her anger is there all the time coming up in passive-aggressive ways and causing issues at work. So we call the subconscious mind the shadow because we can't see it clearly and we're not aware of it. The conscious mind is kind of like the light because we can see it clearly and we're aware of it. The unconscious mind is the shadow because it is in the dark We are unaware of it. What goes into our subconscious is everything we reject about ourselves. The pieces of us that we have learned are unacceptable and unwanted. The minute we say something about us is bad, we have a reason to suppress, ignore, and deny it. Even though the shadow is unseen, it affects everything we do. The thing here is, is that when we deny an aspect of ourselves, it doesn't disappear. It just fades away from our conscious awareness. The shadow with a life of its own, it can affect our actions and life experiences heavily if we don't pay attention to it. And we can experience parts of our shadow in this inner critic, this negative self-talk. The shadow is the reason we do certain things in life without quite understanding why we've done them. We become adults and we feel we should be able to handle life better, but we keep falling into these same unhealthy patterns. 
BPD becomes a thing. We start to realize that our personality has turned into a disorder. This is because the shadow operates outside of our conscious awareness in the form of unconscious and limiting beliefs. Is it all starting to make sense? So this is important here though. The shadow is not just negative and dark. We can easily start to think, oh, I just want to get rid of this. I want to get rid of my negative self-talk. That's not the way either because the shadow contains so much potential gifts, talents that have yet to be unearthed in us. Great things actually end up in the shadow too. Let's say that a little girl is born with a strong sense of self. She knows who she is. She knows what she likes and she doesn't like. And she asks for what she wants and she for sure isn't afraid to speak her mind. She's a strong little girl but she's raised in a family that constantly tells her to tone it down because she's too much. That certainly sounds familiar to me. The parts of her that are strong and confident are rejected. So she rejects those aspects of herself. So she grows up to be quiet, sweet, and obedient, but she doesn't understand why her life feels so painful. The truth is she suppressed some important aspects of herself and therefore she feels divided. She has a shadow side. She doesn't quite know how to bring to the light. The reason positive aspects are contained in the shadow is that we're afraid of what people will think or react when we tap into it. So let's talk about this next part. The shadow is an inner fragmentation that occurs within you. It sounds awful lot like a split, right? It almost is like two different people are operating in your life. So quite often we can be the most gentle, sweet, and kind person. And then in the blink of an eye, something happens that doesn't seem like a big deal. And then we turn into a really scary version of ourselves and throw a huge temper tantrum and have a splitting episode And it leads people in our life sometimes to be like, how did this sweet person turn into this fucking psycho? (laughs) It's because we have two parts of ourselves operating in our life. And when we get triggered, our shadow self takes over. And when we underestimate the shadow, thinking it has no power over us, we are very, very wrong. It can turn our lives upside down and destroy our cherished relationships And every time we act out of our shadow without being conscious of it, it grows bigger and bigger. So how do we spot the shadow within us? Separation and division, as we've talked about before in our splitting series, it's not the natural state of anything. Integration and wholeness are natural for humans. Why do you think in therapy in... Um, Freud, Jung, in therapy, all that your therapists are ever trying to do are to get you to something called integration. A state of wholeness is a natural state for humans. And because of this, the subconscious mind is always trying to get our attention to integrate what's there. It's really, really difficult to spot our shadow, especially if we've suppressed that part of ourselves. But let's talk about some ways that we can start becoming more aware of this in our life. 
And if you're starting to say, Molly, this episode is about self-love. The fuck are you talking about here? The reason why positive affirmations, mindfulness meditations maybe haven't worked for you is because you haven't been aware of this. This right now, the shadow, remember when we talked about the iceberg? These negative thoughts, I'm so fat, I'm so stupid, that's the tip of the iceberg. The shadow down here, what we're about to talk about, this is the big, big block of huge ice underneath the water. We must be aware of this. Once we're aware of this, I guarantee you, you're going to start seeing things like positive affirmations, things like meditation, things, uh, journaling, things are going to start being more effective for you because you're going to be aware of your shadow. So let's talk about three ways we can learn to spot our shadow in action. First is the issue of projection. Many people project their issues onto other people. When they dislike something in themselves, they point it out to others. We often project our shadows, our repressed anger, guilt, shame, and other things we don't like about ourselves onto others. We lash out at people for behaviors that we don't like in ourselves. So pay attention to how you project yourself into the outside world. Because the universe works to make us whole again, people, places, and things become a mirror and reflect who we really are. The term projection is thrown out so much. You're projecting. They're projecting. (laughs) I don't think a lot of people have a keen understanding of what it actually is. Sometimes I want to ask people, give me an example of what projection is. And I doubt that they could actually give you a really good example. So let's talk about some examples of projection so that when we see it come up in our lives, we'll be able to be aware that we're projecting. So the trick to seeing through the guise of protection is to become aware of these sneaky habitual cycles we get into on a daily basis. And some of the most common examples of psychological projection are She hates me. So whether at home or at work or any of the other situation, we have all believed that our bosses, our coworkers, mother-in-laws, extended family members, other people that we've come in contact with hate or dislike us for no particular reason. I know all of us listening to this podcast with BPD have made this drastic assumption. Even if someone like doesn't text us back, they hate me. So while we're convinced that the words, intonations, and brief looks given to us are reflections of some hidden hatred, most of us fail to realize that believing someone hates us is often a result of projection. If we have a strong dislike for someone in the first place, it's common for us to project ourselves against this feeling by projecting it onto another person. So another example of projection Someone might say something like, oh my God, she's so fat. She's such a slut. Sound familiar? I know we've all said certain things like this. This is another example of projection. Let's explore why. How often have you bitched about another woman, man, person whose physical appearance was somehow displeasing to you? You might have felt an immense sense of distaste and dislike for this person. 
this visceral distaste that you have for this person is actually a protection mechanism veiling your own deeper body image issues. So if you're saying something like this, oh, she's such a slut, you see a picture of a girl on Instagram that maybe a person you like double tapped that picture. Oh, she's such a fucking slut. I would never ever put a picture of my ass on Instagram. It is probably likely that you are deeply insecure about your own body. And that is an example of you unconsciously projecting this loathing onto another person. Another example of projection, other people make me uncomfortable. So often the anxiety and tension we feel around other people is a reflection of the way we perceive ourselves. When we're insecure or we have low self-esteem, it's common to perceive the problem as being with other people and not ourselves. So this is a classic form of projection and it's common for those people who suffer from social anxiety. I'm not going to a party. People make me feel uncomfortable, right? So another example of projection, if I can do it, other people can do it. It's not that hard. So this is perhaps one of the almost awful types of projection people can make, which sometimes in flattering and motivating in ways, it's completely unrealistic in other ways. So have you often heard commercials or advertisements with happy, shiny people proclaiming, I lost 30 pounds in three weeks. You can do it too. I earned $15,000 selling candles in one month. You can too. So (laughs) this is an example of projection that fails to take into account the fact that everyone has a different level of capability. It's often common for us to personally commit this kind of psychological projection as well. So for example, with if we are a parent with children, we might think, if I was a good athlete, she will be as well. Or with our coworkers, we might think, I had no problem organizing this project. He can do it too. So if you were growing up, maybe your parents projected their childhood desires onto you. And this form of projection creates a lot of frustration and disappointment. So another form of projection, that is disgusting. That's gross. Get it away from me. So what we react the most strongly to says the most about what we place the most importance in. For example, If we can't stand watching sex on TV, this could very well be a reflection of a hidden sexual shame or insecurity we have in ourselves. Homophobia is also often a type of projection, especially among maybe hyper-religious people. So for example, the highest amount of gay porn is actually consumed in the Bible Belt states in the United States. It's a very interesting and profound example of projection. If you are really grossed out by the idea of gay sex, for example, that may be something you need to investigate within yourself. So I hope this gives you all a really, really deep dive into what projection is, and how it relates to our negative self-talk and the shadow self. So let's talk about a few other ways that we can spot our shadow. So 
Our shadow in action, we already talked about, looks like projection. A second way to spot our shadow and become more aware of it is a trigger's. So our triggers, again, all of these things are thrown out so much, projection, triggers, this triggered me, this triggered me. But again, how deep of an understanding do we really have of the word trigger? So a trigger is a reminder of past trauma. The surface events that cause conflicts in our lives are not just triggers. They are messengers that enable us to become conscious of something that's buried deep within us. We must pay attention to our triggers because they can show us our wounds and our shadow self very, very easily. And the most important thing is that we catch our emotional triggers before we act out on them and not after. And that's why it's so important that we tune into our body, that we think before we react. So triggers are sensory stimuli connected with an individual person's trauma And disassociation often happens when we are overloaded by these triggers. And even years after a traumatic event or circumstances have stopped, certain sights, sounds, smells, touches, and even tastes can set off or trigger a cascade of unwanted memories and feelings. So when they do, the survivor might react with an adrenaline-charged fight, flight, or freeze response or by dissociating. And we've touched briefly on dissociation before, but dissociation separates a person emotionally from the trauma and sometimes from the current setting. So we'll go deeper into dissociation, but triggers can be generalized as in the case of a loud noise. They may involve specific qualities, such a particular song or the scent of an aftershave, but some other common triggers for people are a sense of being ignored, aggressive behavior, angry facial expressions, anniversaries, bright lights, crowd, completing long forms, crowds, um, lack of choices or options, long lines, not being believed, songs, tone of voice, being requested to repeat one's stories. So these are all examples of triggers. And I'll dive deeper into this in another episode, but in order to become aware of our shadow self and become more deeply connected to this inner critic, we have to have an understanding of what our triggers are. Another way that we can spot our shadow, our inner critic at work is through patterns. So repeating patterns in our lives points us to aspects of our shadow self Patterns are expressions of the shadow because the shadow mirrors itself into your reality to be seen and integrated. Remember, our personality wants to be whole and mental disorders, personality disorders, we're fragmented. And so our unconscious mind is working overtime to try to get us to recognize these things and integrate ourselves. Our shadow wants us to become aware of it. It wants to be seen and accepted. Within these patterns, you'll find aspects of your shadow self that will keep showing up in different situations until you're ready to look at them and break the cycle. That's why so many of us with BPD 
just can't quite understand why we keep finding ourselves in abusive relationships, why we keep repeating the same things, why we're constantly blowing up, why we constantly lose our shit when someone doesn't text us back. We're not looking at this big shadow iceberg beneath the surface. Now, the shadow is a really weird, controversial subject. Many spiritual teachers, life coaches, and psychologists actually love shadow work and believe that it can really improve a person's life, while others believe it's not very beneficial. The critics of working in, on the shadow is that if you go looking for dark things, all you will find is more dark things. But my belief is that it's great to focus on the light the good aspects of ourselves, but it doesn't make the dark go away. The dark is just on the other side, waiting for a time to show its face. And when it does, you may not be expecting it it at all. And that's why we get surprised quite often with our BPD behaviors. And also, the dark side doesn't mean bad. Nothing is good or bad. Remember our splitting series? And I keep referring to our splitting series. If you haven't listened to episodes one through three of the podcast, I highly recommend that you go back and listen to them. People with BPD, we tend to look at things in a really polarized way. We want to focus on the positive. It's good, good, and bad. These repressed sides of ourselves are not necessarily bad. They just need to be seen and heard. And it's better that we go looking in search of these darker pieces of ourselves so that we can make peace with our shadows once and for all. And if you're worried about what you might find if you go looking, there's probably something important there that you don't want to revisit. And instead of continuing to avoid it, it's one more reason to do this work. And this work is really necessary if we want to learn and improve our life and break the patterns. And the thing is, no one else can do this for us. It doesn't require years of planning. This is simply just becoming aware of what's hidden and gradually healing those parts of ourselves. And when we start looking inside, when we start thinking about these things, you actually might start feeling the way you felt as a child when you were forced to to suppress these emotions. That's normal. But once you overcome it, it actually may open your eyes to a whole new side of you that you had no idea existed. So the process of working with this shadow self, our inner critic, is called shadow work. So shadow work is nothing but to make the unconscious conscious and the unacceptable acceptable. That's all we're trying to accomplish here. And working with this stuff really does lead to a lot more awareness of ourselves, self-love, and compassion. And as I said before, the goal of shadow work is integration. The integration of the unconscious leads to complete and total awareness. And those of us with BPD really struggle with this lack of awareness and it puts us in through so much pain. So to do shadow work is to bring our shadows closer to us, 
because it is a part of who we are. And the only reason why our shadow and this negative self-talk, this inner critic wreaks so much havoc on our life is because we're pushing it away. So the goal is to bring your shadow into the light, shine a light onto your shadow. And the more you shine a light on a shadow, the smaller it gets. So here are some ways that you can begin shadow work. The first idea is to review your childhood. Ask yourself, was I completely accepted as a child? How did I feel most of the time? What was expected of me and what behaviors and emotions were judged by the people who raised me? Those behaviors that were judged created some sort of shadow aspect within you. And once you find answers to those questions, they will lead you to see the shadow aspects of yourself. And our shadow usually has a root in our childhood. So that's usually a really good place to start. So the second way is to become aware of our shadow. So we're unaware of the shadow in the same way we can't see in dark, right? To become aware of something, you have to choose to see it. And once you see those rejected aspects of yourself, it's time to reflect on them. Are they positive or negative to you? If you find something negative, make peace with it and release it from the shadow. If it's a positive aspect, say for instance, the example of the little girl who she's confident and her, the people that were raised her told her that her emotions and her, her self-confidence were too much, reunite with that piece of you and call your power back. Becoming aware is similar to seeing something that is suddenly illuminated by light. The most important step in doing shadow work is to become aware of it. If we shine a light on it, we're bringing it out of the darkness. Now, the third tip that I have for you is to don't shame your shadow. I can't, I cannot state how important this is. Once you become aware of your shadow self, do not shame or blame it. Instead, you must give it your love, compassion, and acceptance. I like to see these shadow pieces of myself as really hurt, confused little children. And we must speak to them with the same love and compassion that we would speak to a scared, hurt, upset little child. Remember, your shadow was born from non-acceptance and rejection in the first place. It was created the moment you began to push it away. So antagonizing and judging and shaming these pieces of ourselves only adds fuel to the fire. The shadow is part of you. So look at it from a place of love. Love your shadow exactly as it is. So next, use your triggers. Remember, triggers are messengers and an invitation to delve deeper into unconscious things. The messengers are the events that cause an extreme emotional reaction within you. So when we can be aware of a trigger, calling it out in our minds, naming a trigger, we can change them and decrease the effect that they have on us. It allows us to step back from our emotional reaction, observe it instead of living it. Remember that our triggers are reflections of those deep unresolved wounds 
Our triggers come to us to open our eyes to things that are suppressed and need to be worked through. We cannot avoid them forever. Now, the last thing you need to be aware of is that we must observe our shadow without judgment. One of the biggest mistakes we can make with shadow work and working with our inner critic, with our negative self-talk, is to judge it once we spot it. If we let this harsh inner critic come up and judge the shadow, we're rejecting it all over again. Therefore, you're making it bigger and stronger. So when we see our shadow, when a negative thought pops up, we acknowledge and observe it without judgment. Observe it to understand it, and then you work to integrate it. These little parts of you are like fractured, hurt little children inside of you. When you when they pop up and that you, you become aware of it, I'm ugly, and you're or you're triggered by sex on the TV or something like that. Notice it. Speak to it with love and acceptance. Okay, I'm noticing that looking at this scene of sex on TV is really triggering me. What could be underneath that? Sometimes that's just enough because typically we'll switch the channel or we'll say, oh my God, I I can't believe I'm so freaked out by something like that, right? This is not the good reaction that we want to these things. And you'll see that I'm struggling to give you a good example of this because all of these things are so personal to us. For me, I was really, really triggered by seeing my friends find healthy relationships. I'd see engagement picture after engagement picture and be like, oh my God, that's so fucking stupid. They're just, I think it's so stupid people that throw their relationship in everyone's face. When in reality, if I looked at my shadow, I could see a part of me that thought I could never have that happiness. And once I started realizing that, I offered compassion to the piece of myself that really thought I was unlovable. And that allowed me to offer love and happiness for my friends who had found that. But before, if I just left it at, oh, wow, fuck those people, fuck the person for putting up their stupid engagement photo. It's so stupid. And then after that, maybe going and smoking weed or having a glass of wine and then be spiraling into, I'm never going to find love. It's also stupid anyway. I don't even want it. And it would end there. Do you see how I'm just making my shadow even bigger? We can't be doing that to ourselves and it makes it impossible for us to develop any type of self-love or self-compassion. So I'm going to go through a four-step process you can use to reprogram your inner critic, your shadow self. Now, the first thing that you want to do before you engage in this process, acknowledge that negative self-talk is normal, but normal doesn't mean it's necessary. Successful people who have beat BPD are ones who have learned to work with their inner critic to turn it into their inner cheerleader. So here is that four-step process. Step one is to notice the inner critic. Learn to catch yourself each time the inner critic speaks up. 
Don't fight or judge it because what we resist persists. Just simply observe what it's saying. Remember that it's natural to experience this thinking. A really good idea is to keep an inner critic or a shadow journal. I do that. And I write down unsupportive or critical thoughts as they pop up throughout the day. The second step is to detach. Detach yourself. You are not your thoughts. When we identify with our negative thoughts, we begin to take on and embody their energy. So when you notice your inner critic, just pause and breathe. Imagine yourself as a curious observer, like a scientist. Imagine your thoughts as leaves floating down a river. Just breathe, observe, and let them go. I once heard a really beautiful um, meditation. I can't remember where it's from, but sometimes it's easy to imagine yourself as a scuba diver at the bottom of the ocean. Well, not all the way at the bottom, obviously that would not be healthy as a scuba diver, but you're, you're sitting down scuba diving and you look up and you're watching boats and they're passing by. And those are your thoughts. So when negative thoughts are coming up, imagine yourself as a scuba diver and you're the observer, you're watching the thoughts and those boats are watching. And every time you cling on, you don't want to be clinging on to those boats As a scuba diver, if you go up and you start identifying with that negative thought, it's like you attaching to that boat and it's just dragging you down with it. Just sit down there chilling as your scuba diving self and just watch those boats pass by. You don't, you can watch them, but you don't have to attach yourself to the bottom of the boat because if you do, it's going to drag you down with it, right? I hope that was a helpful (laughs) little uh, piece of imagery for you. So another really helpful thing is to start seeing your inner critic as a character in your mind, even give it a name, right? Um, I call mine Ursula. So if I'm starting to have these negative thoughts, like I'm so stupid, I knew I'd fuck this up, right? I'm like, well, Ursula is coming out to play again. Ursula is having a temper tantrum. This is just a reminder. You're not your thoughts. You are not your BPD. You are not this negative part. It's a piece of you. Ursula is a piece of us, but we are observing her. She's not us. We don't have to act on those thoughts. Step three, choose a new thought. This is when we're reprogramming our brain. We're choosing a new message. If your inner critic was your inner cheerleader, what would you want it to say instead? Think of a role model in your life or someone you look up to. What would they say to you in that situation? Think of the person you love most in your life. If you were saying, I'm fat, I'm stupid, I'm never going to find love, what would they say to you? They would probably say, you are an amazing person. You're doing the best that you can, and you will find love in time. You're just doing the best you can right now. Choose a new thought. Think of the ideal version of you that you want to be. What would that ideal version of yourself say to themselves? So once you choose a new thought, it's important that you hold that in your mind and feel what that feels like. So here's an example of that. Maybe 
you're going through a breakup and you're like, I know, I knew this would happen. I'm fucking horrible. Why would anyone want to be with me? A new thought would be, I am more than enough. Say that thought to yourself a few times. I am more than enough. What does it feel like to really believe that thought? So the last step here is practice. Step four is practice. Remember, if negative self-talk is something you do often, it's most likely because you've practiced it a lot. Think about it. How often do you actually practice acknowledging yourself, saying nice things, loving yourself? Think about it. When's the last time? I'm going to give you like two seconds. So if your answer is not very often, it would probably make sense why you're constantly gravitating toward these self-hating thoughts. But I have really good news for you. If you can practice empowering self-thoughts and building it up and repeating this step one through four process, it becomes a habit. It will become your new normal. So the process of transitioning from hating myself to loving myself has been among the most trying experiences I have encountered in my recovery from BPD. It's not simple, easy, or convenient. It is complicated, painful, and incredibly frustrating. And I don't have all the answers, tips, and tricks. And I can't say that I don't ever cringe still looking in the mirror. Trust me, I am not a fucking ball of positivity all the time. Far, far from it. (laughs) But I have vowed to learn to love myself, not in spite of imperfection, but because of my imperfections. So to finish things off, I found this article and it's by a woman who has recovered from BPD. And she said that it's all of the advice that she wished she would have been given, all the lessons from the struggles faced as a human diagnosed with a mental illness and specifically as someone diagnosed with BPD as it relates to self-love. So I'm going to finish the podcast by reading this list of advice. One, self-love exists as a process, not a specified end goal at which maximum self-love is reached. We're always changing and our perception of self will need to adjust too. Two, there is a difference between accepting yourself in spite of your flaws and truly loving yourself because of them. It isn't always easy to distinguish between the two. The latter, of course, is much more difficult to achieve. The good news, you have your whole life to discover new things to love about you. Three, if you have BPD, or even if you don't, you may have experience with codependence, The first step is recognizing it. Once you do that, it's only a matter of time before your worth begins to become your own. Four, it's difficult to accept compliments and support from other humans, especially if you have codependence on a certain human or two. It feels as though all the humans in the world could offer nice words and loving hearts, but you would still deflect it with every fiber of your being. Start a list a list of compliments, positive thoughts of self, and moments you felt empowered or maybe empowering. 
In the moments that you feel it is truly unfathomable that you have worth, read the list. Use that collection of love and strength to delve within your own existence and find something that makes you believe, or at least comes as close as possible, that you are as amazing as you are. Number five, physically share self-love as you would share love with an important human in your life. How so? Hold your own hand. I'm completely serious. If someone had told me that grabbing my own hand in moments of intense pain and worthless feelings would actually make a bit of a difference, I would have been annoyed by the fact that I was being given such unrealistic and unhelpful advice. But that's just it. It isn't unrealistic. The act of grabbing my hand forced me to pause, to think, and put down the blade before slicing it through my skin. It allowed me to feel the touch of someone who truly knew what I was going through. Someone who needed no words to be spoken in order for my thoughts to be conveyed. And that someone was me. I mean, think about it. You know you and your experience more than any other human. It only makes sense that your first source of comfort should come from within you. I know this idea sounds a little unlikely, but please try it. This is one of the most significant and powerful acts of love I've ever given myself. Number six. Look into your own eyes, whether they're vibrant blue, heartwarming brown, soothing green, mellow hazel, or any other color amongst them. Do it. Stare into your own eyes as you'd stare into the eyes of a human you love. You deserve that love too. Similar to the holding of hands, I found that pausing and staring into a mirror as my two sea-blue eyes sent waves of pain and hurt back into my direction was one of the most honest, necessary, and pure moments I've ever experienced as a human being. Now this is her last piece of advice, and it is number seven. Don't be afraid to spend time alone. The act of accompanying yourself as you would partake in new experiences is just as important as spending time amongst others probably more important, really. I personally struggled with this for a really long time. I'd spend a lot of time alone, but usually it was because I was too anxious or depressed to do something that my friends were doing. I was alone because I was too overwhelmed to have company, not because I was intentionally creating time to spend honoring my own human. I began to take myself on coffee dates and walks outside with my bunny. Truly, this was terrifying. (laughs) It took a lot of work, practice, and patience to get to a place where I felt capable of experiencing new things on my own. It gives me anxiety to walk into a new place without another human with me. But it is okay. It is a feat that you can overcome. For me personally, I was, and still sometimes am, so anxious about walking in somewhere alone and looking silly that I will pull in the parking lot but leave before getting myself to walk inside. But the thing is, I am awkward. I could have 30 humans walk in with me and it will still be perfectly obvious that I'm a pun-loving, sarcasm-speaking little dork. This is who I am. Taking small steps towards accepting and slowly embracing this has truly changed my life. If you can pinpoint your fear and your source of self-conscious feelings, you're able to analyze them and consider them from a more realistic perspective. Everything feels a little less overwhelming if you can sort of break it off in chunks, like, I don't know, a cookie or a piece of a scone. Imagine that you address the things that scare you. 
you won't eat the entire cookie in one bite, but rather you break it off in small sections and nibble at it bit by bit. This seems a much more approachable strategy than trying to shove the entire cookie the size of your palm directly into your mouth at once. Sure, you may drop a few crumbs, and it may be a little messy either way, but small pieces provide a sense of ease that tackling all at once doesn't quite offer. Now, this author finishes by saying this. This list certainly doesn't reach every piece of advice I have to offer as a result of my experience, but that's intentional. You can't expect to wake up one day and have all the self-hatred disappear. Just as I mentioned with the cookie metaphor, it's important to be patient and through in discovering yourself and the love within you. You are worth every second of the time it takes for you to begin to feel proud of yourself as a human being. Set goals for yourself. Remember to verbalize, write, and repeat them in your mind as often as possible. Self-love is not easy, but it's definitely worth it. You are worth it. Now, as usual, I'll link to that article as well as all of the articles I used to um, help me compose this podcast episode in the show notes. So don't forget to take a look at that. I'll close in saying that self-love is something that becomes habitual over time. They say that once you do something 60 days in a row, every day for two months, if you can't, if you're bad at math like me, oh shit, see, I'm, I'm doing negative self-talk right now. See, see, but I caught it and I'm aware of it. So once you do something 60 days in a row, it becomes a habit, part of your routine in which you do it without thinking or trying, and it becomes as natural as breathing. So for years, for example, I struggled with basic self-care, things like brushing my teeth, showering regularly, sleeping a decent amount at all, spending time outside, eating, drinking water, all of it. Those are basic self-care items that I think a lot of us struggle with. But self-love isn't just about meeting our basic needs. It's about reminding ourselves that we deserve to have our needs met. It's about creating a relationship with ourself, learning to understand ourselves and allowing ourselves to make mistakes. Compassion and patience with ourselves is so important. The thing is, it's true that doing these things like basic self-care and self-love does make us feel better. Taking care of our body will in turn take care of our minds. Don't try to rush yourself as you're doing all these things. It's a patient, compassionate, lifelong process. There's no finish line here. So you can download habit tracking apps, um, which I found really useful, or just set reminders in your phone. Just remember, it's going to take some determination and willpower at first, but you do have it in you to start overcoming these negative thoughts, becoming aware of them, diving deep into them, becoming aware of our making the subconscious conscious, doing this shadow work. You've got it in you. Baby steps, one day at a time, and you will start to see the changes. People will start noticing. If you're consistent about this work, and if you really dive, dive deep, and you become aware of these things, well, for me, 
people started saying, wow, Molly, you just seem, you seem really happy. You seem at peace in yourself. Something different about you. I just can't quite put my finger on it, right? And you may not notice it yourself. People actually may start noticing it for you. But I promise you, with awareness comes power. So when I first started this episode and I said we're going to talk about self-love, I bet you didn't think we were going to dive into these topics. I'm never just going to scratch the surface with all of you and say, Positive affirmations, meditate, do this. All of those things are great. But we have to dive deep, get beneath that iceberg, look into our shadow, our inner critic, our inner saboteur, and see what is beneath. Become compassionate towards it. See it as our inner child, not as something that's wrong with us. Because remember, there is nothing wrong with you. You are not your BPD. You just developed these patterns as a way to try to protect yourself as a little child. So let's start shining a light on those shadows and watch them get smaller and smaller. And I think you'll be surprised as you watch your sense of self-love become bigger and bigger at the same time. All right, you messy, amazing, emotional, fabulous human beings doing this life thing. That is it for today's episode. I want to thank you so much for listening because out of all the millions, billions of podcasts in the world, you chose to listen to mine. And that means a lot to me. And if you listen this far, I know you never want to miss a new episode. So to make sure that doesn't happen, click follow in your podcast player of choice and you will be alerted every time I drop a new one. To help me grow and help the podcast reach as many people as possible, go ahead and leave an honest rating and review. Not only that, I love to hear your feedback, so please share it with me. I read every single review and you just might hear it read out loud on the podcast. To connect with me directly, follow me on social media and keep up with all the new updates. You can find that all at backfromtheborderline.com. And as always, any articles, resources, or other helpful information you've heard today can be found in the description of this podcast episode. So don't forget to check out the show notes. And until we meet again, remember, life is a circle, a cycle, a process, separation, initiation, return. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Back from the Borderline. If you'd like to receive my monthly written recovery musings via Substack directly to your inbox, send me a voicemail, join the Patreon community, or check out my Amazon booklist recommendations, visit backfromtheborderline.com and click to access my link tree.